Welcome to the Connection Point Church Podcast. We hope to be an encouragement throughout your week. New episodes are available every Sunday evening and Thursday evening. We also invite you to join us live on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. and Wednesday evenings at 7 p.m. Praise the Lord, everybody. Oh, what a wonderful privilege it is to be in the house of the Lord. What a powerful presence of God that is already here in this place. Psalm 16 and 11 said, In His presence there is fullness of joy, and at His right hand there are pleasures forevermore. And where He is, anything is possible. As long as God is there, anything can take place. So we've just come with expectation in our heart, anticipation in our spirit, ready to see what the Lord is going to do. So it's wonderful to be here on a Wednesday night. We give honor to your fine pastor and his family. How many love Pastor Mike Nolan and Sister Cindy and their family? I'm glad he's a man of forgiveness and patience. He doesn't hold grudges against evangelists. But I'm glad the Lord worked it all out to be here this evening. And so if you would stand with me, if you have your Bibles, we're going to open it and read from the book of Psalms, the 92nd division. And we're going to start at verse number 12, and we're going to read down to verse number 15, Psalm 92, verse number 12. And as you're turning there, I want to say how much I appreciate my lovely wife, Ashley, and my son, Shiloh. I'm grateful to have my family with me. In service on tonight. Psalm 92, verse number 12, and the Bible tells us this says, The righteous shall flourish like the palm tree, he shall grow like a cedar in Lebanon. Those that be planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of our God. They shall still bring forth fruit in old age. They shall be fat and flourishing to show that the Lord is upright. He is my rock, and there is no unrighteousness in him. Verse number 12 says, The righteous, they will flourish like the palm tree. They shall grow like the cedar tree. And verse number 13 tells us why. It says, They are planted. Somebody say, They are planted. They are planted in the house of the Lord. So with the help of the Holy Ghost, I want to preach to us on this subject, the ministry of momentum. The ministry of momentum. Would you mind lifting your hands with me? And let's pray. Let's ask the Lord to speak to us. Father, in the name of Jesus, we feel your presence in this place. God, you've already anointed the singers and you've anointed the musicians The songs that we've sung and the words that have already been spoken. God, we're praying now that you would speak to us from your word. Speak with certainty and clarity and conviction. Let your word do what only it is designed to do. And we give you all praise, glory, and honor. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you turn to the person beside you, look at them in their eyeballs, and say, if it wasn't for you, You got to say it like you got a Wednesday night attitude. Say, if it wasn't for you, I'd be the best looking person here. 
Uh, you may be seated. Thank you for standing with me. Somebody said that with conviction just a minute ago. Well, we live in a world that is constantly changing and evolving. The bright spotlight of fame and notoriety is often short-lived because what is in today may possibly be out by tomorrow. The fads and fashions and trends of the day, they come, and as quickly as they do, they will leave. But when it comes to God and his kingdom, the exact opposite holds true. Hebrews 13 and 8 says that Jesus Christ, the same yesterday and today and forever. He's the God that doesn't change. He doesn't falter. He doesn't fail. He doesn't stumble. He never stabs you in the back, never breaks your heart, never walks out of your life. But he gave us a promise that he would go with us to the end of the earth. That is who God is. His love is second to none. And we find as we begin to open up and read in our scripture and throughout the word of God, times when the church was beginning to grow, when they began to have momentum, disciples that were being made, the gospel was beginning to be preached nearly everywhere. And in Acts chapter 5, it tells us that there was a religious council that came together to decide what they could do to stop this rapid growth of Christianity. What methods could they implement to slow down so many conversions, so many that were leaving what they used to believe and becoming believers in Jesus Christ. And so as this council began to meet, they began to discuss different options. Somebody had the idea that if we really want to stop them, what we need to do is just kill anybody that calls himself a Christian. And it was decided after a little while, no, that's probably not the best road to go down. And somebody else had an idea if if we really want to stop their message from getting out, let's take all of their preachers, all of their speakers, and let's throw them in jail. And that way they won't be able to speak to anybody else. And it was decided after a little while, no, that's probably not the best avenue to go down either. Until somebody stood up by the name of Gamaliel, who was an elder, who had been around for quite some time. And he began to get the attention of all these individuals. And he said, I'm old enough to remember that long before Jesus ever came, there was a man by the name of Thutis. And Thutis got to preaching that he was the Christ. He was the Savior of the world. He was the hope for humanity. And everybody became concerned about him. Even had 400 men that followed after him. Everybody was talking about Thutis. His name started trending on Twitter. Everybody, everywhere you looked, everywhere you turned, somebody was talking about Thutis. He said, but do you know what we did? We just left him alone. We didn't even lift a finger. And in time, him and that entire movement came to nothing. He said, after Thutis, there was another man that came. 
a man by the name of Judas of Galilee. And he began to proclaim that he was the Messiah. He was the prophesied one of old. And everybody became concerned about Judas. Everybody began to talk about him. Whenever you would see pictures on Instagram, everybody had Judas in the background. And do you know, Gamaliel said, we didn't even bother fooling with him. But in time, him and that entire movement came to nothing. And we didn't have to even lift a finger. He said, here we are now at a crossroads. What are we going to do about Jesus and specifically those that are following after him? He said, this is my suggestion. Don't throw them in jail. Don't try to cast them in prison. And don't try to take their life. Just leave them alone. Because if you give it long enough, Jesus is going to fade away just like Judas. You give it long enough, Jesus is going to fizzle out just like Judas. Give it long enough, nobody will even know who he is. And do you know that was nearly 2,000 years ago? And yet today, there's nobody lifting their hands to Thutis. And there's nobody praying to Judas. But everywhere all around the world, there are churches that are filled with believers that could tell you there is one that is alive. There is a Jesus that is real and can be touched. And he can change your life. Oh, hallelujah. There's nobody like him. Everywhere Jesus went, lives were forever changed. Destinies were altered every place that Jesus was. John chapter 9 and verse number 7, it says that Jesus opened blinded eyes. And Mark 7 and 35, it says he unlocked deaf ears. John 5 and 9 said he made the lame walk. Matthew 15, 31 said he made the mute to talk. Mark 1, 31 said he made the fever leave. John 20, 29, he made the doubter believe. Uh, and, uh, and, and Matthew 14, 25, it said he walked on water. John 2, 9 said he turned water into wine. Mark 11, 21 said he made the fig tree die. And John 11:44 said he made the dead man come alive. There's no sickness that he cannot heal. No disease that he cannot cure. No problem that he cannot fix. No addiction that he cannot break. No sin he cannot forgive. And there's no soul he cannot save. What a great, big, wonderful God that we serve today. There's nobody like him. And in Acts chapter 5, that was just one occasion. But this was not the first time that these men had problems with Jesus. Back it up just a little bit to John chapter 7 at, the, at some of the heights of the ministry of Christ. These were the same men that kept finding fault and problems with everything that Jesus did. And so, not knowing what else to do, they decided to hire some soldiers, some modern-day mercenaries. And they made a deal with these soldiers that they would pay them. And all that they had to do was go and find Jesus, arrest him, and then bring him back. Sounded easy enough. And so, these soldiers struck the deal 
with these religious leaders and they went out and they tried to find Jesus. And when they finally found him in John chapter 7, there was a crowd of people that had already gathered around. So many that had come to listen to Jesus preach and the soldiers just kind of watched everything transpire. And they decided that we don't need to run up into the middle of the crowd and try to arrest Jesus. Let's let him finish his sermon. Let's go ahead and let him finish what he's preaching. And after, he, after all is said and done, after the crowd leaves, then that's when we'll make our move. We'll go, we'll grab him, and then we'll leave. And so they just stuck around and they listened to Jesus preach. That's dangerous, listening to Jesus preach. It's dangerous sticking around where Jesus is because something is liable to happen to you. And here, as these soldiers stood there, Jesus got up and began to preach. John 7 and 37, he said, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me, as the scripture has said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. And the longer that Jesus preached, the more anointed he became. And the more anointed he became, the more confused these soldiers were. They started talking among themselves. Now why are we supposed to arrest him again? What evil has he done? What mistake has he committed? And the longer they stood there, the more baffled they were. They began to drop their swords and their spears. Uh, break it down in 2022 terms. They put the brass knuckles up. They, they weren't going to mess with Jesus. They just left him alone. And they went, back to these sol- they went back to these religious leaders. And when the soldiers came back and they were, they were empty, they didn't have Jesus with them. And when these religious leaders saw it, they got all up in arms, angry and beside themselves. We hired you to do a job. Why couldn't you arrest him? We paid you. Why couldn't you bring him back to us? What's so different about him? What's so hard and difficult about this job? Why is it that you couldn't grab him like all the others and bring him back to us? They were screaming and yelling at these soldiers. They were berating them. Why are you, why is, what's wrong with you? Why couldn't you do this? Just bring him back to us. And finally the soldiers stood there. and They were silent and they were speechless until finally one of them responded. And when he responded, he said this. He said, never a man spake like that man. In other words, he said, I've heard a whole lot of wannabes. I've listened to a lot of phonies. I've heard a lot of fakes. I've seen a lot of frauds. But when that man got up to preach, there was something that happened on the inside of my soul. When that man began to speak, he said, my words are not just words, but my words are spirit and my words are life. When he began to speak, it's like my heart caught on fire. When Jesus got up to preach, there was something that came over me that I could not explain. 
there was something that happened that day. They began to feel what could only come from Jesus Christ. And when you got Jesus on your side, no matter what obstacle is in front of you, and no matter what is thrown against you, you can move right along. Can I preach to somebody tonight that as long as you have Christ on the inside, you can overcome adversity. You can overcome difficulty. You can rise above any situation. You can rise above the most miserable of circumstances. Because you cannot stop who Christ is. And we have Christ living inside of us. The Pharisees tried to trap him, but they couldn't. The Sadducees tried, but couldn't outsmart him. Politicians tried, but couldn't outwit him. Crowds tried, but could not sway him. Society tried, but could not confuse him. Pilate tried, but could not judge him. The devil tried, but could not destroy him. Death tried, but could not kill him. The grave tried, but could not hold him. He is the unstoppable Savior who has called us out of darkness and placed us into his marvelous light. And if you are part of the church, you are not just part of a social club. If you are part of the church, we are not just part of another gathering of people. But you are part of something that has been predestined to be successful. Hallelujah. Together, we are part of something that no matter what rises up against us. Hey, my old assistant pastor used to say, you better get in, get out, or get run over. Because the church just moves right along. The church will flourish. The church will grow. That's what the scripture says in Psalm 92. It says, the righteous... They will flourish like the palm tree. They will grow like a cedar tree in Lebanon. Trees don't always start out tall. But if you plant and you begin to nourish, I feel the Holy Ghost here. If you stay true to the course, you can't get upset. You can't get mad because the tree doesn't grow overnight. But if you just keep your... Jesus said it like this, if you put your shoulder to the plow and don't look back in time, little things become big things. Uh, there's an old song that says, little is much when God is in it. And if God is with us, then we have an assurance and we have a promise. 2 Corinthians 4 and 7 says, we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. For we are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. We are persecuted, but we are not forsaken. We are cast down, but we are not destroyed. Because greater is he that is in you. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. It's the ministry of momentum. I feel that momentum here on a Wednesday night. I feel that momentum here in the sanctuary even this moment. Sometimes it takes a while for God's promises to come to pass. But when God gives us a word, 
Pastor Nolan, I'm thankful that when God gives me a word, I can hold on to it. I can, I can, I can grab on. One old bishop said, like a bulldog, latch on with my teeth and not let go because what he said, it's going to come to pass. Numbers 23, 19 says, God is not a man that he should lie, neither the son of man that he should repent. Hath he said, and shall he not do it? Or hath he spoken, and shall he not make it good? In other words, he said, it may not be today. It may not be tomorrow. But one day, what God promised you, it will come to pass. I can still recall when God got a hold of my life. I shared it maybe the first time I ever came. Ashley and I were trying to remember how long y'all have been here in Trafalgar. I remember when I first got in church, uh, I was rough around the edges. And that's putting it lightly, okay? I was rough around the edges. Uh, and drugs, and was an addict all my life, and it was everything my family had done. It was passed down to me. And, and so that's all I ever knew. So when God brought me out, he had to really bring me out. He didn't just reach down to grab me. He had to reach way down to grab me. So when I got in church, I just decided I'm going all in. And so I would bring people to Sunday service. And I'd invite them. I'd get a carload of people, two carloads of people. And I'd bring them all to the church. And finally, I told my pastor, I said, if, if we would buy some kind of bus or van, I'll drive it. I'll pick people up for church. And so we didn't have very much money. And so we went out, got this old 1992 GMC van. Come on, Connection Point. <laughs> had no gas gauge. <laughs> had no odometer. Had no spudometer. Come on, Trafalgar. You know it didn't have no air conditioning, didn't you? <laughs> uh, had a big old hole in the back that you would fall through if you weren't paying attention. I was bringing you to church anyway. Didn't matter where you lived, didn't matter where you came from, the color of your skin, I was bringing you to church. And I'd take a van load of people and drop them off. And I'd go get another van load of people and I'd drop them off to church. Had a whole lot of zeal. Not a lot of wisdom, but I had a whole lot of zeal. And I didn't know it. I was bringing two different gangs to church. Our little inner city church, they were having knife fights in the foyer, people pulling guns in the sanctuary. Had that liven up a midweek service. Let somebody pull a gun out. Hey, it gets people stirred. <laughs> My pastor was standing at the front door. He was waiting on me by the time I came back. He said, I need to speak to you before you get back in the van. I just had such a burden to win people to God. I knew what the Lord had done for me and so I tried to share it with everybody I came in contact with. And I tried to witness to my family. Of course, none of my family was in church. And I told my dad, and he'd always tell me. My dad was an alcoholic and rock and roller. And he'd, he'd tell me, he said, Doug, I'm glad you found Jesus. But I'm okay. You just need to leave me alone. So being rejected over and over again. Nobody would come to church with me. My family wouldn't have a Bible study. You just might as well count on it. They weren't going to show up. So it's in those moments when things may not be going right 
when they may not be going the way you want them to go, you don't give up. Help me now. You don't throw in the towel. You don't wave the white flag of surrenderance, but you just plant your feet. That's what the psalmist said. You plant your feet in the house of the Lord. Plant your feet in the courts of our God because in time you're going to flourish. In time you will grow. And so uh, I can still remember as a Friday night was in Indianapolis preaching. The first night of revival, we had seven, I think maybe eight people received the Holy Ghost. Very first night of revival. By night two, it was Saturday night, and I was so full of faith, and I was excited and knew that God was going to do something special. And, and so I, I'm preaching. We had already started worship service, and it was time for the sermon, and as I was up speaking, I noticed this man came in the back door of the church. And I can't really see very far away, so if you in the back tonight, you in a safe spot. He came and sat in the back, and I kind of stepped away from the pulpit. I'm trying to be on best behavior tonight, okay? But every now and then, the traveling evangelist comes out. And I stepped away from the pulpit, and I walked up and down the aisles preaching it. When I was walking up and down the aisles, to my amazement, guess who was sitting on the last row? My father. Now, he didn't come to church. He didn't come to church for Easter. He didn't come to church for your Christmas candlelight service. He wasn't coming to church for your birthday. You might as well forget it. He wasn't coming. And so I made my way back up to the platform and began to close the service and close the sermon and give the altar call and this young man came up to the front, wanted to be saved. And so I went over to where he was at, and I was praying for him. And as I was praying for him, somebody came and tapped me on the shoulder. I said, hey, I think your father is in church. And somebody said that he just came down to the altar. Now that in itself, I couldn't hardly believe. And so I finished praying for this young man, and I started going to the altar area. And I couldn't have seen him anywhere, and so I'm standing on the other side of the altar over here by the steps. And as I'm standing there, one of the ministers came and met me at that step and said, Hey, I need to tell you something that your dad is in the back talking to the pastor. He's saying, I got to get baptized tonight. He says, I can't wait any longer. I got to be saved. And so when I saw my dad come out of the back room, he jumped into baptistry. I thought he was going to baptize himself. And so I stood there, and the pastor looked at me, and he said, I know that I'm not your pastor, and I know that this is not your church, but I do know that this is your father. Would you like to baptize him? And so guess who I got to hold in the water and say upon the confession of your faith, and the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus our Savior. I do and now indeed baptize you in the name of Jesus for the remission of your sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Put him down in the water. And when he came out, when he came out of the water, he was speaking in other tongues. God had filled him with the Holy Ghost and transformed his life. About the first chance I could, I got on the phone, called my mom. I said, you're never going to believe who showed up to church. You're definitely not going to believe who got baptized. 
when I told her, she said, you know, we've been married 38 years. And he never once talked about being saved. Never once talked about serving the Lord. Never once talked about giving his heart to God. But see, when momentum starts... It may start slow, but if you feed it, if you let it grow, if you nurture it, I'm going to tell you what's going to happen. It will flourish. It will flourish. Happy to tell you my mom and dad are both in church, both serving the Lord, both living for God. But the story gets a little sweeter. Was it long after that? Got a phone call from my aunt who lived in St. Louis, about four hours or so from here. And, and I'd witnessed to my aunt about the Lord before. And she'd always tell me, she said, now, Doug, I believe in God, just not like you, because you're crazy. <laughs> she said, I heard about that church. It's called Crazy Church. Huh? I'm not interested in all that. They raise their hands, and sometimes they cry. No, I'm not interested in anything like that. So I tried to get her to have a... Bible study with me. And every time she said, no, I'm not interested. So she called me on the phone, kind of out of the ordinary. And so we're talking back and forth. And finally I said, well, Aunt Sandy, what's going on? She said, well, I, I heard you were preaching a revival in Indianapolis. And I thought I would drive over and come to one of them services. Wow, that would be amazing. You know, I'd love for you to come. I said, well, how'd you know I was in town preaching? She said, you'll never believe who called me. Your dad called me on the phone. Said, I don't know if you've ever been to a church like this, but you can feel it when you walk in. It's something I've never had in my life. It's something I cannot explain to you. You owe it to yourself to go to that church. There's something there that I cannot really explain. So my aunt came to church. She sat on the third row. You know the first three rows, that's called the danger zone, right? First three rows, that means you're going to be saved, all right? If you're within spitting distance of the preacher, it's game over for you. We couldn't get out of worship service. I look over and I see my aunt just tears streaming down her face. I just kind of walk over to where she was and kind of put my arm around her shoulder. I said, Aunt Sandy, why don't you just lift your hands to God? She looked at me. She said, no way. I said, what do you mean, no way? She said, I know the moment I raise my hand, something's going to jump on me, and I'm not going to be able to stop it. She said, I'm not lying. The hair's standing up on the back of my neck right now. She said, Doug, look at my arm. I got goosebumps running up and down my arm. I said, you know what that is? That's more than the hair standing up on the back of your neck. It's more than the fast beating of your heart. It's more than butterflies in your stomach. You know what you're feeling? You're feeling the love of God. And there is nothing like the love of God. There's nothing like His love. Ephesians 2 and 4 says that God's love is great. John 3.16 says God's love is giving. 1 John 3.16 says God's love is sacrificial. 1 Corinthians 13 and 4 says God's love is patient. God's love is kind. 1 John 4.18 says God's love is perfect. 
God's love is fearless. Ephesians 3.19 says God's love surpasses knowledge. Jeremiah 31 and 3 says God's love is from everlasting to everlasting. Song of Solomon 8.7 says many waters cannot quench his love. Floods cannot drown his love. The scripture says the heavens cannot contain his love. The earth is filled with his love. 1 John 4.16 says God is love. You can't talk about God and not talk about love. You can't talk about love and not talk about God. I said, you know what you're feeling? You're feeling the love of the Lord. And so we just kind of prayed together for a moment. We repented. and I said, now let's just love Jesus. Just lift your hands and began to worship. And would you believe standing in the third aisle while the singers were still singing, my aunt lifted her hands and the Holy Ghost began to come down. And the tears began to stream. And boom, just like that, she starts speaking in tongues. God filled her with the Holy Ghost right in the middle of the worship, sir. She got done praying, and she hugged me, and she hugged the sister behind her, and hugged the lady in front of her, and hugged the man beside her. See, when you get the Holy Ghost, there's a change that happens. You don't have the same heart that you had before. You don't have the same mindset that you had before. There's a change that takes place. When she got done praying and crying and hugging, she said, I know what I need to do. I said, what do you mean? She said, you told me, probably thought I was never listening. You told me that if I really want to commit to God, I need to be baptized. So guess who I got to hold in the water? And say, upon the confession of your faith and the death, burial, and the resurrection of Jesus our Savior, I do and now indeed baptize you in the name of Jesus Christ. <laughs> baptized her there. She went back to St. Louis, got a hold of her husband, said, you need to come to church with me. He came to church. Guess what happened to him? He got the Holy Ghost. He got baptized in Jesus' name. She became the door greeter. He became the Sunday school bus driver. See, momentum starts slow, but when it starts flowing. Uh, come on, church. I feel it for this congregation. I feel it for this community. I feel it for this church. I feel it for your family. When it starts moving. But the story gets better yet still, and the music's getting ready to come. I'm closing. It wasn't long after that. Got a phone call from my sister. And I'd witnessed to my sister about the Lord before, but she was an atheist. I always called her a militant atheist. She could chew you up and spit you out before you knew how to talk back. She'd always tell me, Doug, religion is for people that need a crutch. Church, that's for people that need some kind of stability, that are not emotionally dependent. So I try my best to invite her and have a Bible study. And nah, I'm not interested. So it just so happened that my phone began to ring. And my sister was calling. We started talking on the phone back and forth. And finally I said, well, what's going on, Natalie? And she said, well, I heard you were in Indianapolis preaching a revival. And she said, I, I thought... I might come to church on Sunday. 
There was this long pause because I was standing in absolute amazement. I said, well, I would love for you to come to church. That would make my day if you would come. I said, but how'd you even know I was in town? She said, you'll never believe who called me. I thought I might give it a guess, but go ahead and tell me. She said, Dad called me. I said, now I know you don't believe in God. And I know you for sure don't believe in going to church. But you owe it to yourself to go to, there, go to that church just one time. There's something there that could change you. Uh, Dad told Natalie, he said, I never felt it in a pill, never felt it in a drink, never felt it at the club, never felt it at the bar. He said, but if you'll go one time, you'll know what I'm talking about. And so my sister came to church. Now, she had more sense than my aunt. My sister sat on the last row you could sit on. But you know, when God's got your number, doesn't matter if you're on the third row or the last row. Doesn't matter if you're trying to hide in the bathroom. Doesn't matter if you try to go out to your car. When God zeroes in on you, there's an old saying that says, you can run, but you cannot hide. His love can find you no matter where you are at. We, we preach about the blood of Jesus, the blood that flows from the highest mountain down to the lowest valley, the blood that's not a respecter of persons, the blood that can forgive the chiefest of sinners, the blood that looks beyond your faults and your flaws and your failures. And the blood sees what other things cannot see. The blood sees potential and possibility and promise. The blood is still working today. Got done with the sermon and sat on the platform, decided I'm just going to risk it all. So went all the way to where she was sitting, sat down beside her told her, I said, Natalie, I'm so glad you came to church. It didn't just make my day. It made my whole year to see you come to church. But since you're already here, what would you say about going to the altar and praying with me? She's just looking down the whole time and not responding and not replying and I don't know if she's going to come or if she's going to punch me square between the eyes. I'm not sure. Finally, she looked at me. She said, I'll go to the altar under one condition. Sure, what is it? You tell. She said, I'm only going to go one time. That's all I need, baby. All I need is one time. All I need is one service. It could be a Wednesday night service. All I need is one altar call. You'll come... Hey, we, I, I'm not the one that gives it. It's God that does all the heavy lifting. He's the one that loves us when we are unlovable. He's the one. I feel the Holy Ghost right now. He's the one that cares for you when nobody else cares. He believes in you when you don't believe in yourself. That's the kind of God that we serve. That's the kind of God we serve. She went down to the altar and I said, Natalie, the first thing you got to do, you got to believe in God. You got to confess that Jesus died on the cross. He was buried in the grave 
And then he did what no other human has done. He conquered death. That's the foundation of our faith. You got to confess that he is alive, he is real, and he is Savior. You confess that. Next thing you got to do, you got to repent of your sins. That's acknowledging that God, if I keep going down the road I'm on now, I'm headed to destruction. If I keep going down this path, I'm going in a place that I don't want to end up. But when you repent, that means I'm going to turn my direction around. I'm going to ask for forgiveness. I'm going to say I'm sorry for what I've done and for the direction my life has been going. And when I repent, I'm going to change my course. I said, you do that. Watch what God will do. And she began to pray. And she began to repent. And standing there in the altar, I watched as a little tear began to well up in her eye. Don't know if I ever saw my sister cry, not one time my entire life. Sometimes the ministry of momentum, you got to look for the little things. Let me encourage somebody with lost family members, look for the little things. Look for what the atmosphere that God is setting up. Look for how he's putting everything together. And that tear began to drip down and it began to flow down her face. And I just kind of put my arm around her shoulder. And by this time, she's not the only one crying. Tears are flowing down my face. We're praying together. We're worshiping God together, standing there in the altar. Finally, God done. She's wiping away the tears from her eyes. I'm wiping my face. She said, you know, for the first time in my life, I can say that I believe in God. Because I just felt him. There's no doubt in my mind I felt him. She said, I know what I need to do. I said, what is it? She said, you probably thought I was ignoring you because I was. She said, but you told me that if you really want to be saved, you need to be baptized in the name of Jesus. So guess who I got to hold in the water? The one that want to even come to church. The one that want to even confess that there is a God. The one that want to even believe that Jesus was real. Guess who I got to hold in the water and say upon the confession of your faith and the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus our Savior. I do and now indeed baptize you in the name of Jesus Christ. We're starting to flourish now. Hey, church, I can feel something in the Holy Ghost. I can feel it when I began to pray for this congregation. I can feel it when I began to pray for your pastor. We about to flourish. We about to grow like a cedar tree. Oh, you better wait and see what God has in store. Oh, somebody ought to just stand on your feet with me right now. Would you stand with me? Would you lift your hands? Would you let me pray for you? Would you just close your eyes and lift your hands? Father, in the name of Jesus, God, if there's somebody here tonight that's never been baptized, I pray that somebody might make a life-changing decision and they could be baptized in Jesus' name. 
God, that there's somebody here today that's never repented of their sins. Maybe somebody that's never received the gift of the Holy Ghost. Today can be the day that the Holy Ghost is poured out. God, I pray that there's a believer in the house that's praying for the lost spouse, praying for lost children, praying for lost family members, praying for lost friends and siblings and sisters and brothers. I pray the gift of faith would come down into this church on this Wednesday night. I pray that faith would begin to flow and faith would begin to rise and it would extend to this entire congregation. Oh, in Jesus' name, would you join me at an altar? Would you step out of where you're standing? We're about to sing a song to the Lord, but I invite you, would you come right now? Hallelujah. Before this service comes to an end, God can bless you. Before this service comes to an end, you can receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Before we walk out the door, God can bless you in a special way. Come on, let's lift our hands to the Lord. Somebody needs to raise the volume of your voice. Hallelujah. God, I'm thankful that you love me. I'm thankful that you never gave up on me. I'm thankful you believed in me in my lowest moment, in the worst of my times. God, you were there for me. That's it. Come on, sister. That's it. Come on, brother. The Holy Ghost is here right now. I can feel him. Woo! That's it. Come on. In the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. I'm calling out to you right now. I'm claiming my lost loved one. I'm claiming my family member. I'm claiming my friend. I'm claiming my neighbor right now. Come on, why don't you find somebody? Lay your arm on their shoulder. Come on, why don't you find somebody? Grab them by the hand. God's doing it in my family. God's doing it in your family. God's doing it in our church. It's happening in our community. In the name of the Lord, that's it. This is the moment. This is my chance.